All my friends were still working. I didn't feel like doing anything. And it was as boring as hell. Yeah. And what really frustrated me, Ryan, was no one could understand what I was going through. Yeah. My wife didn't understand and my friends couldn't understand because everyone automatically thought, look, at Mike doesn't have to work anymore. How can he be unhappy? Do you ever wonder who you'll be and what you'll do after your career is over? Wouldn't it be nice to hear stories from people who figured it out, who are thriving in retirement? I'm Ryan Doolittle. After working with the Retire Sooner team for years and researching and writing about how they structure their lifestyles, I know there's more to be learned. So I'm going straight to the source and taking you with me. My mission with the Happiest Retirees podcast is to inspire 1 million families to find happiness in retirement. I want to learn how to live an exceptional life from people who do it every day. Let's get started. A big theme of today's show is retirement shock. It's not always an easy journey from retirement to happiness. And today's guest knows this all too well. Mike Drack, you're the senior contributor at Booming Encore and the author of, well, many things, including the best-selling book, Victory Lap Retirement and Retirement Heaven or Hell. You actually heard one of my earlier episodes and reached out to us to say that you had a story to tell. And I'm really so glad you did. Thank you for coming on the show. Oh, my pleasure. And thank you for inviting me. I love sharing my story. Well, I can't wait for other people to hear it because I think it's a part of retirement that a lot of folks don't realize. I mean, some people think, well, as soon as I'm done working, then the happiness just rolls on in. That's right. And those are the ones that sadly wake up to reality and it's not fun, believe me. Yes. And now, did you sort of have that in mind, you know, once once I don't have to work? Or I know that your work situation wasn't quite what you wanted at the end. No, I, I wasn't. Let me start at the beginning. I worked in the banking industry for total 38 years. Oh, wow. And, you know, I, I used to enjoy it. But at some point, the stress starts to get to you. You know, the sales goals never stop. And they kind of changed their position. They got more concerned about making a lot of money and less about the customer. And that kind of went against my values. So at some point I said, you know what, it's time to stop. You know, I, I got to get out of here. It's starting to affect my health. I was getting high blood pressure and things like that. So I started telling people, I said, you know, I, I think I'm going to leave. Oh, and, wow. Okay. Uh, and so it was just a matter of actually officially telling the powers to be that I was going to go. But before I could do that, they snuck me into one of these meetings, you know, these surprise meetings. And uh, sure enough, there was a person sitting across from me in the boardroom and going through the process about leaving the bank. And I was just sitting there, I'll never forget, because my boss was sitting beside me, was sitting so close. I don't know if they think you're going to jump out of a window or something when they pull these surprises <laughs> on you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it felt kind of uncomfortable. Yeah. So I sat there and I'm listening to everything, but I really wasn't paying attention because I was the happiest guy in the world. When, Re oh, you know. really? I Okay. So at that point, you were just doing great. Well, yeah, because you're going to give me a severance check and I was going to leave for free. <laughs> and I'll never forget that at the end of the meeting, they said, oh, you know, you're probably, you know suffering from a little bit of shock here. Maybe you should go home early. And I said, you know, that. thank you. I think that's a good idea. And as soon as I got in the car, I phoned my wife and I said, listen, we hit the lottery. 
yeah, if, if there's a way you can help other people learn when not to quit so that they can get that severance, you know, if there's that if you had quit one day earlier, you would have been without it, right? Sure. It, you know, it was like it was so lucky. Yeah. And, and severance at f- age 59 is is wow. pretty good. Yeah, that's great. Oh, yeah. I was I was just ecstatic. So for the next couple of weeks, life was just wonderful. <laughs> I could sleep in. I didn't have to, you know, that brutal commute to work. I, I didn't have to go through that. I didn't have to be under stress like I used to be. And I wasn't tired at the end of the day from working hard. You know, life was good. And, you know, I could catch up on some chores that I was mean to do, some home improvements and things like that. Yeah, those those things are always piling up on the to-do list. So you thought, now I'm going to get to do them all. That's right. My wife was very happy about <laughs> yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. But she was still working. So I was home and I had nothing to do. And so she said, here's the list. Start working on it. And then I, I remember one Monday morning, it hit me because my wife went to work. I was all by myself at home. I remember I was sitting on the couch. I have this big screen TV. I have like 500 stations on the thing and I'm flicking through it, trying to find something to watch. Do you think I could? No. No, I was just miserable. Yeah. And all my friends were still working and I I didn't feel like doing anything. The fun things I used to love to do, like going out and riding my bike or going fishing, I didn't feel like doing any of that. I just wanted to isolate myself and moan about things. and, And it was as boring as hell. Yeah. And what really frustrated me, Ryan, was no one could understand what I was going through. Yeah. My wife didn't understand and my friends couldn't understand because everyone automatically thought, look, at Mike doesn't have to work anymore. How can he be unhappy? Yeah. And in that, you know, I had a hard time with that. Well, they, they weren't at the same stage. So they they were still in that mindset that you had at first. Right. I'm guessing which was if you're not working, you're you're loving life. That's all it takes. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I look back at it and I find it embarrassing because through my career as a banker, I help hundreds, maybe even thousands of people save for retirement. My wife's an investment advisor. She has oh. a good handle on retirement. But I failed because I thought it was a money thing. Right. I thought the more money you save, the better your retirement would automatically be. Yeah. And who can't be happy in retirement? But I, I learned the hard way that a lot of people will suffer that fate because they haven't planned things out properly. And I'm talking about the non-financial challenges that you're facing, right? Yeah, I mean, it seemed from what we've seen in our research, the money is important, but it it doesn't do much for you if you don't have the other part. That's right. So you need. It's almost like the that's the bare minimum is having the the means, and then but you better have a purpose. Which I think yeah. you call, uh, you you had a name for it. The is it the ik, ik, how do you pronounce it? It's a Japanese oh, term. Oh, guy. That's why. Yeah, that's yeah. the process I use to help me find purpose. It's a Japanese term. It's a concept that's been around for you know maybe a thousand years. I'm not sure, but you know, basically, you sit down in a quiet place and you answer four questions. Like one of the questions is, what are you good at? What kind of skills do you have? And, and many of us are born with natural skills. Some of us are good with numbers. Some of us can paint and work with their hands and things like that. And the next question is, what do you have a passion for? And the third question is, 
what kind of problem can you solve for people? Like what and does the world need, that type of thing? or What does the world need or can you provide a service or a product that will help people solve a problem? And the fourth question is what can you be paid for? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you, you answer four questions if you're looking for, in my case, paid part-time work or many people are just ignoring the fourth question or doing volunteer uh, work. And they're happy as heck. But this really aligns your skills and your passion to the work that that you want to do. And once you go through it a couple of times, like every time you go through it, you try to do a better version. And at some point it all clicks in and you go, wow, that's exactly what I want to do. And that's how it worked for me. And it's it's worked for many of my friends, too, that we've worked on it together. And it's amazing the answers they come up with. And that's when retirement really changes because you have this new purpose that you have passion for. And I think I I read in, in Wes's book that the happiest retirees are people that volunteer. Oh, that's I that's way at the top of our list of. Of yeah. what we call and, core pursuits. It's yeah, it's true because I find myself now I've I've changed from getting to giving. Right. And, yeah. and it was really interesting how that evolved because I always used to chase after money. That's all I did was, you know, in my working years, you know, we always wanted to make more money so you could buy more things and take care of the family and whatnot. And it was hard to leave that kind of thought process. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, the volunteer kind of thinking and giving got in there, and it's really taken over my life now. So I don't know if you're aware, I wrote a book, Longevity Lifestyle by Design. Yeah. And we're giving it away free to everyone. Oh, really? So they really? can just go to Booming Encore, download the book, and there's a workbook. And really, it takes you through retirement lifestyle design the process. It tells you how you can avoid retirement shock and things like that. And again, it's just my way of giving back and helping others. So, yeah, life's never been better, but it was hard getting to this point, though. It was a struggle. Oh, yeah. And and just on that, with volunteering, and Wes interviewed Mitch Album, who wrote Tuesdays with Maury. Right. Oh, popular yeah. Book. yeah. I'm and familiar with it. One of his big mantras is, I believe it was giving is living. And That's right. Sure. He, You know, I mean, he's a very successful guy has a nice house but he's the times he says he sleeps the best is not in his fancy bed it's when he's at when he's he does a volunteer trip where he works i think with orphans and you know he's he's sleeping on the floor and sleeping like a baby you know but it's true it's so true and really when you help others you're helping yourself yeah you get this real good feeling and what i i liked was during the pandemic These are retirees I refer to as givers, right? They have the strong need to give back to the community and help others. And all of a sudden you would see them putting up their hands and they'd be working at the food banks and the hospitals. And they would even volunteer to help out their elderly neighbors who were too scared to go shop in a grocery store for fear of catching the virus. And I was looking at all these amazing things these volunteers were doing, you know, really made me feel good. The, and those are the stories we want to hear about on like the news and things like that and reading the newspapers. We don't see enough. No, it's tough to get those. The top of the show is always the negative, the That's bad right. things. Not Yeah, that might be like a side mention at the end. Here's someone was happy, you know. And yeah, that, uh, yeah. I want to hear about that, right? Yeah, yeah. Now it's funny. I can hear a little bit of your 
when you, I think you pronounce process process. So I just that reminded me you're up in Toronto, Canada, right? Right. Okay. That's right. That's the Canadian in me coming out. <laughs> right. Coming out. Yeah. Or do you say uh, I love you, Dodd, instead of dad? Or how do you pronounce dad? No, this dad for me, but we oh. use a a lot. A, yeah, a. We'll go, hey, hey, yeah. hey. It's a, it's about beer o'clock, eh? That's right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, we've sort of covered this a little, but I just wanted to make sure we wrapped it up nicely in a bow. Why would you say you are a happy retiree, and and why should people listen to what you have to say about it? Well, I believe they know I'm honest about my story. No one can dispute the story. I wrote about the story in those other books you mentioned. And I'm not embarrassed to admit that I struggled. And I explained why I struggled and where I was wrong. And it was hard to find a, the correct path for me. And it was very frustrating because I went out and I got my hands on every retirement book I could, you know, eight years ago. Yeah. And eight years ago, there was none of this talk on the non-financial side. It was all about numbers and about how much money you needed to save. I couldn't find answers anywhere. So I had to figure them out on my own. And that's when I kind of woke up to it and saying, there's going to be all kinds of other retirees going to go struggle the same way I did. And that's when it hit me, well, here's a good way to help them to give back. And, you know, let's go out and talk to as many people as we can and tell them my story so they can learn from it and avoid the mistakes I made too. You know, it's interesting. I I was having a discussion the other day with a friend who has a much different outlook on life than I do. And it, it it had veered into politics, which I definitely won't get into, but um, we were talking about personality types and he, he was under the impression it's an alpha strong mentality to just forge ahead and never apologize or analyze yourself. And I thought, I feel the exact opposite. I think it's the strongest thing you can do is realize where you failed and try to improve that. That's much harder to, to do. Vulnerable. Yeah. You have to be prepared to be vulnerable. You have to say, look, I made a mistake. What got me excited was like, I, I did a lot of research and I, I studied Maslow a lot, the hierarchy of needs. Oh yeah. And what I found interesting was and a lot of people don't know this. At the top is self-actualization, you know, to be the best person, the best version of you that you can be. But like the bottom is the, are the fundamentals like eating or something? Okay. Yeah. Like safety, financial security, food, water, and all that. Okay. But what I learned is just, just near his death, he was going to amend that hierarchy and he was going to put something else at the very top and he was going to put transcenders. And those are the givers. These are the people that go out and help others. And he said, that's where you want to be. And eventually some people will make it. And it's just like, that's where we're trying to, you know, we we work towards is getting into that giving stage. And he said, essentially, those are, are going to be the happiest people, the people that will feel the most fulfilled and have meaning in their life through giving to others. And it made an awful lot of sense to me. And it's, you know, I keep thinking about because I'm getting pulled more and more towards that, Mm -hmm. which I think is a wonderful thing. Oh, yeah. But it's kind of it's not me wanting to do it. It's like it's happening to me, which is something I find interesting. Well, but I wonder if it's because you've taken certain steps and now the momentum is just taking you that way. 
Well, yeah, but I, I think the, the, the big thing for me was I have the freedom to do it now. Yeah. Throughout my life, I was always a giver. I always liked to help people. And that's the part of banking I liked is helping others. Mm. So it was always part of me, but it was blocked because I had to work for money and I had to do this and I had to do what they wanted to do. And now because I have, you know, I'm retired and I have financial security, I'm free to pursue whatever and so I'm letting that that need that's always been with me start pulling me in that direction. That's that's where I'm having fun. Yeah. And I can't help but think when we talk about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, in a way, if you put that into a retirement context, the the bottom part, what would the fundamental, you know, crucial survival things with retirement, the income part or the finance part is kind of that part. And that's then, the base, sure. Yeah. So we shouldn't look at it as the ultimate goal. We should look at it as, okay, that's just the starting point. And then the happiness and all the non-financial things are what we're working, we need to be headed towards. So I've been playing around with the hierarchy myself. And so, yes, you're right. Financial security, financial independence at the bottom. If you don't have that, you shouldn't retire. You can't because you yeah. have to keep gathering some uh, form of cash flow. But above it, I have the first year's comfort-oriented retirees. Oh, okay. So these are retirees that their biggest goal in life was to cross the retirement finishing line. And now that they've hit that, they'll never work again. They just want to enjoy a simple, safe life. Yeah. And my mother was like that. You know, she just wanted to hang around for her friends, do whatever she had to do around the house and watch her soap operas. And she was happy. And then above that, are the growth-oriented retirees. So these are people that instead of just taking it easy, they want to go out and experience new things. They want to learn new things. They want to travel to different countries, maybe start their own business and things like that. So they're an exciting group to watch. But then above them are the givers. Yeah. The people that are doing these wonderful things out there in the community and so that's how I can see it. And I can see there's a kind of a migration. Some people never get there because they don't want to, and many will. And that's when life is really good, right? But you see, yeah. you can't tell a comfort-oriented that that's what they should do. No. They're happy living a simple life, right? Well, that's you have to have a purpose. So maybe it doesn't matter necessarily what the purpose is, right? Your mom's purpose, maybe... We could see it as more simple than someone else's, but it's perfect for what she wanted. That's right. Because she was happy just taking care of her family and friends. Yeah. That was her purpose. And taking care of her cat. Right. You know, that was her purpose. But some people, like people like me, I need a bigger purpose. I need to achieve and accomplish things. I need to set goals or things will get boring for me. So... I made a goal of having that free book downloaded a million times. Oh, that's it, great. It's going to be hard to get there, but we're working at it. We keep chipping away at it. But it's funny how much of a struggle it is to get the word out, even about a free book. Like, <laughs> you, yeah. You'd think the price is right, and you might not have to work hard on it's that. Great. Yeah. There's nothing up my sleeve. There's no <laughs> trick. It's free. Just here. I'm trying to help you. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's it's funny. Well, don't worry. After this episode, you're going to get a billion sales. Just an, You probably already have them. 
by the time this airs. It's not a sale. It's a download. I'm sorry, (laughs) a download. Yes, no, no cost. Uh, You mentioned your mom loving her cat. That brings me to the fact that I know you're a dog guy. So were you still able to love each other, even with that huge uh, discrepancy there? Well, no, I couldn't have a dog when she had the cat. Oh. But the interesting story about the cat is it happened after my father passed away. He passed away at age 72 from pancreatic cancer. And she was, you know, alone. I was scared. She was living alone in the house. And we got this cat for her. And that cat gave her a new purpose because she had to look after that cat. And that cat would follow her around and, you know, sleep with her at night and whatnot. And it's like, you know, they they were meant for one another. They each gave each other new purpose, right? She took care of the cat and the cat took care of her. And it was just a wonderful thing to see. And it just proved to me that purpose doesn't have to be big, this huge thing. Right. It can be something small as long as it works for you. Right. And that cat did it for her. Oh, absolutely. Remind me. So you worked for a large Canadian bank. That was your that was your primary career, right? It was always in banking. Okay, but now you you don't do anything with that in retirement. There's no part time consulting or like, you know, if people ask me for advice, I give free advice. I'll give them my opinion on certain things. At one point when I was doing that Ikigai process, one of the options I came up was providing reverse mortgages to older people. Okay. Because I'm very protective of older people. I don't want them to be taken advantage of. I want them to get good advice. I think the product's good in certain situations. And I thought, hey, that would be a great job for me. It would hit all my needs and it make me feel good about providing help to older people. But then at the end of the day, I thought, you know what? I don't want to work for a boss anymore. I don't want to work regular hours anymore. And so I kind of kiboshed it. Oh, okay. But it would have been um, good. Let's talk about core pursuits. I mean, the the original conceit of this show is actually I was going to be the core pursuit finder. And I had this vision of Sherlock Holmes, you know, searching out people's core pursuits, which on our show, they're, they're hobbies on steroids or, you know, something sure. that kind of gets you out of bed in the morning because you, you love to do it. So see if I have this right. Your core pursuits, number one is fly fishing for Atlantic salmon. Is that is that I the love number? It. I do. Yes, I, I would put that right at the top. And where, so where, how do you do that? How do you make that happen? It takes two days of traveling there to get there. It's a real pain. Okay. You know, we have to take a train to Montreal and then we take from Montreal two additional plans to get into the camp. So it's right at the northern edge of Canada and it's just the craziest place. It's really rugged. I love it because it's, I like being near water and I like being in the bush mm-hmm. and the weather's really rough too. Oh, so it, I bet. it's like, it, it, it just gets me to do my deep thinking up there. You're almost like in survival mode. And then at the same time, you're trying to prob- problem solve because you're trying to figure out how you can catch an Atlantic salmon on the fly. And you're trying all kinds of different things in it. It really recharges me, and I'm off the grid. There's no computers, TVs, radios, none of oh, that. Yeah. Cell phones don't work, and I, I just love it. Is that do you go? Th- do you have to go through the Hudson Bay to get up to it, or how how do you get? No, but we're, we're kind of north and to the right of that. Okay. So there's a place called Ungava Bay. Okay. And 
George River empties into it, right? Okay. So this past year we were up there and there were muskox, which was a little bit different to see, but that's how far north you are. And I just love seeing the, you know, the wild animals and things like that. What are, did you say muskox? Uh, muskox. Oh, muskox. They're, uh, They're big so elk they looking things. they real hairy animals. And when they, they go in a, a little herd, so if there's danger, they make a circle. Okay. And they out. No, it's the coolest thing, right? Oh, wow. And you're seeing out in the wild. So, no, I really enjoy it. And I can't help but think, so you love fishing for salmon, and salmon notoriously swim upstream, which is kind of what you were trying to do when you first retired. And now you're kind of going with the current. You're, you're going with the flow. You figured it out. Yeah. And the thing I like about like fishing, is it puts me in a state of flow. I get completely absorbed and lost in it. I don't know what time it is. It could be snowing, raining or anything. And I'm still there because I'm so focused on the task. And I like things that put me in a state of flow. Like writing puts me in a state of flow. Oh, does it really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. When I'm writing a book, like I used to get up and write at 430 in the morning. Oh, and it's the funniest thing because you know you have passion for what you're doing and when you write at 4 30 in the morning this is really fun you can't remember what you wrote by the end of the day <laughs> you can't it, it's yeah. not writing from your your head you're writing from your gut yeah and so the first book i wrote i would do, i did that for about four or five months and then I, i'll never forget i sent the draft of the book into my editor and a week after I sent it in, she phones me back. She's all excited. And she goes, do you know what you did? And I said, yeah, I wrote a retirement book. She goes, no, you wrote a retirement book about not retiring. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what that's what naturally came out, right? I mean. <laughs> that's how I felt, right? Yeah. I think working part-time in retirement is, is a good way to go. Either, like I said, for money or volunteer, but. I think it's a good source of purpose and it fills all our fundamental needs, right? Yeah. And so the truth came out of me, which was really funny. And then I had to make a decision. Well, should I get it printed? Because who's going to buy a retirement book about not retiring? <laughs> no, I think, and, I think a lot of people would. Yeah, but back then we never thought like that. Yeah. We thought, you know, I, I had visions of people giving a talk on that book and them all booing at me. Oh, Because, wow. you know... Who's going to say, oh, yeah, I want to work part time, right? Mm -hmm. But it, it ended up that a lot of people want to. Yeah. And we're seeing that now. We're seeing that now in, in the stats that a lot of people are going back and they're working part time. Oh. Some for the money, but a lot for the meaning, right? Yeah. But the key is, yeah, of course, fine work that you love to do. Yeah, I interviewed a guy. I don't know if you know Richard Eisenberg. He... I do. Oh, yes. okay. If you look at his LinkedIn profile, it says unretired, which he I think he took from his friend Chris Farrell. Yeah, it's basically what you're saying. He now he still works, but he says no more. You know, if it's something he doesn't want to do, he says no. And then he does the right. things he wants to do. But yeah, you're really you're following your passions and he's using his old skill sets for the new work he does. And he's having a lot of fun with it, right? Yeah. Plus, he's helping a lot of people. Yeah. And he gets that, too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, so the other thing I want to get into about your core pursuits is you have a goal to finish the Ironman competition. Oh, yeah. This is one of my, my crazy ideas. So I, I tried it 
Was it last? Yeah, last year in November, I tried it for the first time. And the reason I tried it was because when I retired and you write books and you spend a lot of time sitting at a desk, you tend to get out of shape really fast yeah. and you put on a lot of weight because, you know, when you're stressed, you're grazing. You're, e- all you're eating crackers and yeah, exactly. Oh. Yeah. So I, I ended up putting on about 40 pounds. And I, you know, I had to go for physio once because just sitting at the in front of the computer on the keyboard, it's funny what it'll do to you. I know, I right? Yeah. <laughs> so I said, this is crazy. And I write about, you know, getting healthy and things like that as part of the longevity story. So I said, I gotta get healthy. So I'm gonna train for an Ironman. I got this idea. And I'm gonna do it by the end of the year. So the race in Cozumel was in November. So I trained up to November. It was probably one of the hardest things I've ever done. (laughs) Or one of the dumbest things I've ever done. (laughs) And I I went down to Cozumel. And the morning of the race, they had a, a bunch of rain squalls coming in. And they delayed the start of the race. Eventually, they let us start. And it was quite the day, I tell you. I got I got stung by all these jellyfish and the you know, the sea was rough. And then I got out there and I had to get on the bike and it was so hot in Cozumel. You you wouldn't believe the heat there. I think a third of the people quit. And and like ninety-nine percent of the people are younger than I was. Okay. And so you had all these younger people quitting and I was I was going like the the you know <laughs> the, the turtle and the story about the, <laughs> the tortoise hair. and the hare, or yeah. <laughs> but near the end of the bike, they forced us to stop the people at the back of the pack because they ran out of time and they had to reopen the roads, even though we were within the cutoff period. They wouldn't let us go out and do the run. Now, between you and me, I was kind of happy they didn't let us go out. Yeah, but don't tell anyone, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it, it was a lot of fun. It was interesting, but it was disappointing with the result. And now, you know, I look at it as unfinished business. So I'm going to go give it another shot when I turn 71 in two years. Oh, okay. Back. I have to. Yeah, I can't let it. It's you can't let bother. it. Is, yeah. is the Ironman, is it running, swimming, and cycling? Is that? Yeah. You you have to swim 4K, and okay. then you ride the bike for, well, your equivalent, 112 miles, and then you run a full marathon. No one really runs the full marathon, well, except for the pros. Okay. It's a combination of run, walk. It's a true in- endurance test for us at, at my age. And our goal is just to finish it in under 17 hours. And if we can do that, you know, it makes us feel good. You know, it's the funniest thing because when you're, when you're doing the event, I'm with a bunch of the, you know, the older people because we're about the same speed. Okay. And they're real characters, men and women. And their attitude is, is contagious and they just make you laugh because we're all suffering. Yeah. Oh, yeah. but it's a good type of suffering, and we share a lot of laughs, and we're laughing at each other. Like, you're saying, this is completely ridiculous, but we just <laughs> keep going, right? <laughs> That's the best when you can all just admit that, but you, you're doing it anyway because you love it. A quick story here. I was reading the other day, and I, I told the story about this lady a couple of years ago. It's one of my favorite parts is this lady went and celebrated her 100th birthday by going for her first skydive. 
And I read yesterday, she just celebrated her 104th by going skydiving again. Can you imagine? Oh, my God. Like, talk about, you know, getting out of your comfort oh, zone. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, my first thought is, is that a good idea? But then my second thought is, if you're 104, yeah, if you want to do it, do it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's so many people out there like this. I refer to them as retirement rebels or late bloomers. Oh, I love I hearing like their stories. Yeah, I love hearing their stories and their source of inspiration for me. I, I look and I say, I see some people at age 80 plus in, in the shape they're in. And I said, when I turn 80, I want to be just like you, right? Yeah. So it's nice to have that out there. And we're seeing more and more people like that, right? Definitely. I mean, you mentioned the stats, but I, if you look at the numbers of people kind of getting back into action it feels like it's it's on yeah. the rise yeah it's, it's it's a good trend and it gives us a lot of us hope for the future yeah and uh that's what you need right yeah well tell tell me mike what what does a perfect day look like for you now that you're in this phase of life perfect day for me is to have a coffee around 7 30 okay and then I'll, I'll come up to my office and i'll I'll write for a couple hours, and then I go out and get my 10,000 steps in. Oh, you do it all in one shot, the 10,000? Yeah, 10, yeah. And, and you know why? It's funny because it's almost like a form of meditation. That's when I can think, and there's no – I don't take the phone. I don't take music or anything like that. And many times I'll do it with my wife, which is nice, so we can talk about things. And then a couple of times a week, either I'll go with my swim tribe, Friends will go do lane swimming, or there's my bike tribe. We'll go out for a bike ride, or there's my uh, weight room tribe. You know, go lift weights three times a week, and there's all these different people. They're all trying to get healthier or stay healthy, and they're motivating. We share stories and we laugh a lot. The odd time I'll throw in a fishing trip, or my wife and I will go to like Italy. I love going to Italy and. I love the lifestyle there and we're learning new things all the time. So those are the things I try to input and quality time with uh, my friends and my family. I plan that in too. So if I have those things, a couple of happy things, I throw in an adventure too. And that's what makes me excited. And, and if I get an opportunity to help someone, when I get an email from a reader or someone that I helped, you know, they thank me and they say, hey, this is how you help me. And yeah, I just smile like my face off when that happens. <laughs> In terms of your perfect week, uh, I talked to you a little bit before and it sounds like it's kind of just taking your perfect day and multiplying it by seven. Is that is that accurate? That's it. And, we, you know, I'll just change the mix sometimes, right? Okay. I think it's very important to have variety there. And also, I'd like to inject uh, specials. I call them specials. So maybe, like I said, you know, maybe take a trip somewhere or go to an event, maybe a, a show and dinner and things like that. So I try to put those things in to give me variety. You mentioned Italy. So traveling is definitely at the top, near the top of what our happy retirees seem to pick as their core pursuit. So that's the same for you, would you say? Yeah, but, you know, my type of traveling, I don't want to sit on a beach and just eat at the buffet and, you know, have a margarita or something. I want to go out and learn things. Right. So I like history. 
So, you know, you go to Rome, you see the Colosseum, all of a sudden I start daydreaming about all this thing. What throws me off is the McDonald's sign beside the Colosseum. It kind of takes know, me right? back to reality <laughs> and it ruins it for me. Yeah. But I like uh, learning things like the Blue Zones. There's one in Sardinia. Oh, yeah. Is that Dan, Dan, Dan Butner or Dan? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He wrote the books on the blue zone, so I find it interesting that you know you go to a place like Italy and they seem to not watch as much TV. They don't watch CNN or or Fox News, and you know they're more family oriented. The pace of lifestyle, the stress of living is much lower. Yeah, and in Italy, you look around, you don't see any retirement homes, right? Really, because. Yeah, most of the elders are staying with the families for the duration. Oh, okay. So, you know, these are things that I I notice and I pick up on, and I'm terrible because then I start asking a thousand questions of people to say, what about this? What about that? Well, I find that very interesting. I would do the same. And yeah, but then you're worried, am I asking too many questions? But you just want to know. You know, with the language barrier sometimes, so I have to go slow. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, right. (laughs) But it's nice to see these different lifestyles. But, you know, the sad thing is, is I can see it changing. Yeah. And life getting more stressful there. And the blue zones are, are changing, too. And oh. uh, they're getting smaller and smaller because you have all these influences coming in. The fast food stores are coming in and things like that. So it's really changing it up. So, you know, if you look at the exercise habits of the Italians, they walk everywhere. Oh, really? You're, you're walking up or you're walking down. You know, it's hard to find any flat land there. And that's that's why it helps them a lot. Right. That's an interesting concept. I just from an American perspective, when when I visit New York, I walk everywhere and I don't complain about it. It seems like just what you do. But I live out in Los Angeles. And, you know, if someone says, hey, do you want to come to this thing? It's like three blocks away. I well, let me see if I can get a ride. You know, I (laughs) I don't know what the mentality is. It's not that far. So it sounds like in Italy, they've got that nailed down. Yeah, pretty well. And they socialize a lot. You know, they talk to their neighbors a lot. They're not in these high-rise condos where they're isolated. So on a Sunday, everyone goes out to the town center and they'll have like gelato and they'll talk to people. And oh, that's great. Themselves. Yeah, it's something to see. And I just hope it doesn't disappear. But, you know, I can see it change. I can feel it. Well, and I think that socialization, uh, we've, Wes had a guest on who was a, sort of, for lack of a better term, a a brain scientist. And they study a lot of primates. And I can't remember the exact primate. It might have been chimps who they they see that, especially males, as they get older, they they struggle to keep up their socialization, which never works out well. And and it's the same thing for humans. And I, I think that could actually be a big reason why a lot of retirees struggle with depression. You know, that definitely. Did you yeah. find that for you? You had like your your work social circle was gone and now you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And like I said, you know, when I was sitting there that first time it hit me, I was all by myself because my wife was working. My friends were working. And that's where I had to find and create these new tribes that I could join and belong to so I could get the socialization back. And in the work I do, like giving you know seminars and things like that, I'm talking to people all the time. 
And that really kind of turned things around too. So it was good. But I'll tell you a funny story in Italy. I was having lunch with this young man. I know his family. And he told me that, you know, he university degree and was working in a corporate office somewhere. And he said he didn't like working there. He liked working outside. And he said he was thinking of becoming a shepherd. Oh, and okay. I looked at him and I went, and it, you know, I studied the blue zones a lot. And there's a lot of research on the shepherds and in, in the blue zones live to 100 plus and things like that. And I told him about that. And I said, you know what, health-wise, maybe it's not a bad thing, right? Yeah. And I would have never thought about that before. I would have said, you're crazy. You got to get a stay in the corporate world. You got to make all kinds of money and so you can buy all this stuff. And I'm going, well, maybe that was wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And so I didn't, want to, I didn't want to tell him what to do because I kind of went through that, right? I yeah. went after the money and I did all those things. And, you know, there's a beautiful story. I don't know if you ever read it, but you, you have to. Or I could send it to you. It's called The Mexican Fisherman. No, and I it, It's a wonderful story about this, this corporate banker talking to a, a simple fisherman and trying to convince him that he should buy more boats and he should hire more people and he should create this huge business empire. And then at the end of it, and the fisherman said, well, why would I do all that? And then the, the corporate banker said, so you can retire and you can spend time on the beach here, playing with your kids and hanging out with your wife. <laughs> and he was already there. <laughs> and oh, you gotta wow. read the story. It's beautiful. But that really points to, it out. That really uh, oh, makes yeah. it clear. Yeah. Yeah. So why are we working so hard? I don't yeah. know. You know, you know, the the money is so hard to not. You, it's a constant reminder because you see other people and money doesn't do it. It doesn't make them happy. But then if you have an opportunity to make money, it's real hard not to go. No, I'll be different. <laughs> it, it'll right. It'll work for me. You know, and we're, we're driven that way, too, because I remember my father said, hey, you work hard and you keep getting promotions and you do this. And it's all about status and being better than uh, he was. Right. And, you know, competing with others. And, you know, I don't know. I, I think that puts too much pressure on us. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Mike, how, how would you say that you had to recreate your identity when you retired? I mean, how, how would you put that? Well, I, you know, it drives me crazy when people refer to me as being retired. Oh, okay. I'm um, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Every time I walk into the bank, they have it on their screen that this guy's retired, right? Yeah. And they'll say, hey, how's retirement? And I, I kind of go, oh, because being referred to as retired doesn't mean anything to me. Yeah. What does it mean? Right. Uh, and I'm doing so many exciting things like, you know, I've turned into an author. I couldn't believe I wrote a book. I never wrote a book before. I turned into a public speaker, which is crazy because I had this terrible case of stage fright for years. Oh, and really? Years. Oh, I, okay. Oh, yeah. Wow. I turned down promotion so I wouldn't have to public speak. Wow. And for years and in retirement, I had to conquer that fear. I joined Toastmasters. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, I needed to go out and talk about my book. 
So it was hard. So many times I went there and I turned back. I wouldn't even walk into the, the building where Toastmasters was because I was scared. I couldn't do it. Three times I did it. I drove, I drove there and I, I backed off. The last time I got there, I walked in. And there's a, a lovely lady came up and talked to me. And I think they know, first timer, that you're going to be scared and they're going to try to calm you down a little bit. I'll never forget. I said to her, do me a favor. Could you lock the door over there? And she said, why? And I said, because at some point I'm going to try to make a break for it. <laughs> Uh, that that uh, I, I respect the dis you you knew yourself you need you needed oh, yeah. some some uh, I borders run. i was a runner like yeah, i'm going right yeah that adrenaline was gonna kick in and uh you know i and i didn't want to leave i didn't want to run it was so hard ryan so hard at the beginning but i kept showing back i kept going back and eventually i got to it where i enjoy it now yeah, you wanted to run, and, and now look at you. Yeah. You're also swimming, and you're also cycling. Uh, so oh, yeah, you, <laughs> that's you, for sure. Yeah. But it shows you what you're capable of once you break through the fear. Yeah. And the fear is made up. It's something you made up, right? You created this invisible wall, and now I broke through it. So I learned a lot about myself. There's that great Jerry Seinfeld bit where he says the number one fear of people is public speaking, Number two fear is death. So that means if you're at a funeral, the person would rather be in the coffin than giving the eulogy. For sure. For sure. <laughs> I would say that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, I tell you, I used to break out in a sweat and, oh, God, it was brutal. Yeah. Yeah. That was really I was sending a heart rate monitor on. I would have loved to see it redline. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Mike, you're, if you had to define since, and I know you don't like the, the phrase retirement, so you don't have to use that word, but how would you define what it optimally is? You know, for me, it's freedom with a lot of happiness, a lot of purpose, doing what I want to do when I want to do it. And like I said, the big driver for me is helping as many people as I can. And that's what I'm doing. And it, it was life changing because this is, I really believe this is what I was meant to do. I didn't know how I was going to help people, but it kind of fell into place. But I'm really doing what I need to do, what I was born to do, maybe. Yeah. And I can use my skills that, you know, I had and my natural abilities. And the funny thing is, I think I was, I was born to speak. Really? But, yeah. I, I love it now. I enjoy it. Right. But it was hard to get there, you know, to connect the dots and everything. And I learned I learned all that during retirement. So, you know, it's been great. So retirement, to close us up here, retirement helped you find your ikigai? My ikigai, and it's, it's put me in a new direction. It's given me new purpose. I get really excited to, to get out of bed in the morning. There's a list of things I want to accomplish, and they're all fun things for me. And I'm very focused on doing the things that make me happy and ignoring the rest. So I, I have more control, I guess, more discipline. And uh, no, life's really good right now. Well, Mike, if people want to find you, if, if what you're saying is really speaking to them, where should they go? Well, they can find me on LinkedIn or just go to boomingencore.com 
And my contact information is there as well. And, so. and what was the price of that book again? Was it zero? It was zero. Zero You dollars. can buy it on Amazon, but why buy it when you can download it for free? That's what I... <laughs> I love that marketing pitch. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mike Drack, thank you so much for being on the Happiest Retirees podcast. Oh, I love being here, Ryan. Thanks a lot. <laughs> All right. You have a good one. You too. Take care. <laughs> 